This is a little weird with two rows up front with nobody in them. This is the first time I've seen it from, from here. Not saying y'all have to get there. It's just awkward for me, which is pretty normal. All right. Um, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, uh, for the most part, uh, when I've been speaking anyway, <laughs> feel a little bit better. Thank you, David. I'm just going to talk to you. Everybody else can listen in. All right. So, uh, so we've been walking through John. Um, if you have been here, I, I, especially today, today's going to be one of those days where I, I invite you, as if you need an invitation, invite you guys to get involved and ask questions or chime in at any point. Um, are we live? Are we live streaming yet? We're not? Are we having issues? Okay. I was going to say we could have people join us online too uh, to join in or ask questions as well, but we're having some technical issues still. All right, so um, one of the questions I was curious, because this is a bit new for me, because I'm usually pretty erratic that I'm going kind of verse by verse through John. Are y'all liking that? Do y'all like doing it this way? Has this been good so far? And you can say, no, I like it a different way or anything. Do y'all like kind of going through verse by verse like this? Has it been beneficial? Do what? Context. context, yeah. It really does help with context and, and seeing. Now, there's not, not that we don't grab things from other places, but we've just kind of been walking through John, kind of tiptoeing through and digging deeper. So um, I want to kind of continue that today, but even more so to, to really open it up for discussion during what I'm going to talk about and after. We're going to open it up for discussion as well. Um, and I'll try to catch everyone up as much as we can through John. Uh, we kind of started midway through uh, with, with Jesus being arrested and all the way up to his crucifixion where we've gotten now. Uh, we've talked about the, the prophecies all the way from uh, from the Old Covenant coming through and, and understanding what kingdoms were and what Jesus was talking about as he was uh, discovering and, and, and showing everyone around him this invisible kingdom that they really didn't understand. Um, we looked at uh, what what Jesus' power really was. It wasn't a power of, of a physical sword, but it was a power in the sword of his, of his tongue, of his words. It was the word of God, and that's where our power is. We know that Jesus wasn't like seeking some great power. He knew what he had. He was tempted. The devil tried to, to trick him constantly into proving something. He didn't need to prove anything because he knew he was a son. Um, throughout all those temptations, we get all the way up to uh, Pontius Pilate and um, give us baraba, baraba. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted him. Uh, Barabbas, God, I have a hard time saying it. Barabbas, literally, Baraba means uh, Bar Abba is son of the Father. And Jesus constantly called himself what? Son of man. So he was showing us, he was demonstrating right in our faces, really, and everyone else that was there what was happening, the transaction that was about to happen. Uh, the, the, the greatest thing that could ever happen was he, was he was paying a price that we couldn't pay to give us something that we could never earn. He was doing something so big that it changed history forever. Um, and he, I love how the Bible is so powerful at surface level, and then it's so powerful when you dig a little deeper, and it just gets better and better the more you look into it. And so as we've gotten to this place, uh, we got last week what we talked about was the humanity of Jesus. Um, it's something that people, I think, are very careful with, and rightfully so, but it's also something we don't need to be afraid of because we're not being irreverent when we recognize that Jesus was a man. Right? He was fully God and he was fully man. He wasn't 50 50, he was 100 100. Okay? Um, the, import, the reason why that's so important is because if we, if we in, in, our, in our minds and our theology and our understanding, if we push Jesus off as though he's only deity, he's only, uh, he's only God and not man, that takes us out of the equation, right? It, it, it would help us distance ourselves from God, and that's not God's heart. That's Antichrist. 
Uh, so when we see Jesus as man, it's important that we do. We see that he learned. Um, Jesus learned. It says that he was in the courtyards when he was 12 learning. Um, Jesus had to uh, struggle through things. He had to fight temptations. How do we know he had to fight temptations? Why tempt him at all if there was no chance of him failing? It would be completely pointless, but we have record after record of those things happening. How could he overcome something that there was no chance of failing? So we see that Jesus is fully man and he's fully God. He is what the Bible calls a prototype. He is to show us that that is actually possible. It's possible that God and man can coexist together again after, after the fall, after Genesis. And so Jesus demonstrates this in his life, but he also demonstrates this to us daily in the Holy Spirit. He, he comforts us, right? What's the Holy Spirit do? He's a comforter. He leads us. The Holy Spirit leads us. These things that, that are not just historical things that we can look back and go, oh, that's really neat that Jesus did those back then, but we can see, okay, he's still doing those today. He's still alive today. He's still um, speaking to people today, right? And so when we, we get to this place, we understand that, that what we talked about last week, and I'm going to kind of springboard off of what we talked about last week into what I want to talk about this week, is that, that he, this was Jesus the man. The things that he went through, he, he was frustrated. He was, I think there were times when he was afraid. Uh, you know, evident when he says, you know, if there's any other way that this, that, that, that basically, Dad, if you can do this any other way, I'd like you to do that, but not my will, but yours be done. He was, he, was, he was sweating like drops of blood. He was stressed. He, he dealt with what we deal with so that God could taste something that he had never tasted before death. He could feel things that he had never felt before, which was temptation. God did this, brought, brought himself down, and put, essentially put skin on so that he could experience the things that we experience because he loved you and me. That's an amazing thing. That's just, every time I talk about it, you know, we talk about it every Sunday just about, and every time I talk about it, it just blows my mind. Um, that, that Jesus would take the time, and for me personally, for him to know me, um, because I know me, right? And you know you. And all of us have our own histories and our own vices and our own struggles and the things that we deal with. And when you, when you really, really get a grip on, really can fathom how God can, can relate to you, that's, a, that's just a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. So what we talked about last week, Jesus knew that personal responsibility was necessary. Jesus understood that part of being human was taking responsibility and being involved in what was going on around us. Um, what we ended on last week was John 19, 25, and we're going to start there and work our way down from there. If you, wanna, if you do want to turn there, we're going to start in John 19, 25. Um, and it says, uh, in verse 25, says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, um, both Marys, uh, the wife of Clopas and Mary Mag Magdalene. Uh, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, self-described, uh, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, his disciple took her into his home. So I, I, I still find it interesting that as Jesus is doing all this supernatural stuff and changing the course of history, he took the time to say, hey, take care of my mom when I'm gone. He took the time to say, okay, now you're her son, and she's your mom. Take care of her. I mean, that, to me, that speaks volumes of how personal Jesus is. How, how he doesn't he doesn't overlook the small things. Um, something actually, I, I see my mom. One of, one of the things my mom told me a long time ago that I scoffed at, um, as I was arrogant and ignorant. She said something about a parking place that she had prayed for a parking place or something. She got an upfront parking place, and I thought how trivial that was. And God doesn't care about parking places. Years later, I realized that I was absolutely wrong. God does care about parking places. It doesn't mean you're going to get a perfect parking place every time. It just means that God's personal enough to meet your needs in the ways that you need them, right? So, in other words, 
we've seen what we would consider miraculous in a healing or something, that's, that's no different in Jesus giving you an upfront parking spot in the time that you need it when something's going on in your life and you just needed that little thing to change it, right? That's how personal Jesus is. That's, um, as, as a pastor, I have conversations with people all the time that are dealing with different things in life. It's just part of the job. <laughs> um, it's mostly a joy, but there are times that are a little bit of a struggle. And when you deal with some of these things, you go, I, I personally can go from conversation to conversation with different families and different friends and, and different things like that. And I can go from one, what I feel like is a, is a very big deal and is, is should require much more attention and uh, empathy and understanding. And then I get another one that I think, really, you're going to bother me with this when I've got this serious thing going on, right? But, the tr- but what I've, I've discovered is this little thing is just as important to this person as this big thing is to this person, right? Um, I, I, like we say all the time, I can't do that on my own because I'm human and I'm dumb <laughs> and I get frustrated with people and I have issues of my own. But when I go to Jesus and I lay these things at his feet, he shines light on them, and he helps me realize that they're all important. The same way you guys aren't exempt from that just because you're not a pastor. He highlights those same things to you. That's what's the, the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is he doesn't, he doesn't work outside of Scripture, but, man, he, he can create such a beautiful picture for us um, that just goes right along with it. And it, it's, it's such a, a beautiful thing to experience life in Christ, not just, not just an intellectual understanding of it, but actual life in Christ, like life on life, right? And so we see here Jesus is is altering the course of history. He is taking sin upon himself, and he takes the time to say, take care of my mom when I'm gone. Let that sink in a minute. This is is the love of God that, that draws us near to him. This is the love that God gives us that says, I care about your money situation. I care about your relationship situation. I care about your, your kids, I care about your boss, you know, I care about your coworker. I care about these people that are around you that, that you may overlook at times. I care about that stranger that you were just introduced to this morning. I care about that person. I care about what they're going through. Um, to me, this was, there was, a, there was a, a big gap when I first come, when I first started coming to church after I was born again. There's a big gap in this relationship. I didn't fully understand it. All I saw, I looked at it from the outside because I didn't understand the whole church life thing um, because I wasn't so ingrained in it, which can be good and bad in some, in some areas as we've seen. Um, but the key, the key to understanding, I believe, true Christianity is understanding the paramount, uh, the, understanding that relationship is paramount in this. That God, God so loved the world that he gave his son. We're about to get to that. Um, verse 28 says, later knowing, I'm going to run through it first and then we'll break it down. Uh, verse 28 says, later knowing that everything now had uh, been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the, of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the, and the bodies taken down. Uh, the reason they did this is because essentially you, uh, when, during crucifixion, you would essentially suffocate. You, they had to pull themselves up to breathe. And if you broke the legs, it was much more difficult to do that, and they would die faster. It was a very brutal way um, of, of execution. 
And so they were going to break their legs so that they would die faster so they wouldn't hang on the cross for two more days or any more days. Uh, verse 32, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first, uh, the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it uh, has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was, was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, uh, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds. Uh, about 75 pounds. Uh, you guys know Nick from Nick at Night, Nicodemus. Uh, he met Jesus at night, was asking a lot of questions about being born. If we get to it, we'll talk about that in a moment. But let's break this down. Uh, jump back to verse 28. It says, Later knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now, this is an interesting statement that Jesus was saying, I am thirsty now. Why, was it, why is this interesting? Because earlier he was offered something. If you remember throughout the scripture, he was offered something and he turned it away. Do you remember that? Um, so why would he say, I'm thirsty now? Well, uh, Matthew 27, 34 records that Jesus went to the cross and they, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Uh, Mark 15, 23 describes the drink as wine mingled with myrrh. The drink offered to Jesus was a cheap Roman vinegar wine, which had a drug mixed in it to dull the, pain, to, to dull the senses. Uh, it was the custom of the Romans to offer a man being crucified drugged wine so that he might more easily endure the cross. Jesus refused the wine, however, apparently, so that he could go through his suffering with a clear mind. So Jesus, Jesus was offered something to take some of the pain away so he didn't have to take the full brunt of the suffering on the cross, and he refused it. But there's a difference here. This, what's going on here is a little bit different. Um, he did that for a reason. He, he needed to, to, to take all of that on himself, not just physically but spiritually too. He needed to have a right mind, and so he refused it. But there's something else going on here. In verse 29, uh, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave him a spirit. So the vinegar wine was offered uh, to Jesus as they filled the sponge with vinegar. Uh, the hyssop, the reason they put it on a hyssop, and this is very important, it was of extreme significance to the Jews uh, because it would have reminded them of the first Passover night when each household um, among the Israelites in Egypt slew a perfect lamb and put the blood on the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over the houses of the Israelites. Moses had commanded the Israelites in Exodus 12, 22 to take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and to strike the lintel and the two sides post the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out of that door of his house until the morning. So the Jews should have recognized there was some, this was the point with which Jesus was going to make his ultimate sacrifice. The sacrifices of the Old Testament we know were types and shadows, were, uh, were pointing towards the substance. Jesus is the substance. So when we look at these Old Testament stories and we see the importance of hyssop and the importance of, of the sacrifice, we're seeing uh, a type and shadow or a, uh, what's another word for it, a, uh, 
I guess a shadow would be the best way to, to look at it. It was a shadow of the substance that was to come. Jesus was the substance, right? So when we see when we see Jesus doing this here, he's doing this for a purpose. He's doing it for a reason. He's recognizing that he is going to be the ultimate sacrifice. He's going to take the sins away from the world. It was the blood of the, it was the, blood of the Passover lamb that saved the Israelites from death. On the cross, the perfect lamb of God, Jesus gave his blood to save mankind. This was the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. It was him taking sin upon himself so that we wouldn't have to take it. it was, he was not just taking on sin, but he was going to send us the Holy Spirit and give us new life. This, this one man changed, I keep saying that over and over again, but he changed the course of history. Even people that don't believe in Christ as the supernatural man of God, there's no doubt that Jesus changed the course of history, changed everything that we know about history. All history. Even time. B.C. Yeah, even, even the way we, we see time, Christ changed it. So it's funny that even, even people that could argue theological uh, uh, debates and different things that we have, there's, there's no doubt that something happened there. There's no doubt that something, something happened. And what I want to get to, and, and as I'm, I'm kind of looking at the clock and seeing the kind of time frame, I don't know how far we'll be able to get. Um, but what I do want to discuss at some point here is going to be hope um, because there is something that happened on the cross that gave everyone hope. Something that I've seen, uh, I see, I've seen throughout life, but I've seen even more, uh, more lately is a, a sense of hopelessness. There's a sense that because we see a, a temporary kingdom shake, that it, it really shakes us. There's a, there's, there's fear. There is, uh, but ultimately there's this, this idea or the sense of hopelessness. And I want to kind of tackle that. So keep that in mind as we move forward. Um, Verse 31, it says, Now it was the day of preparation. Uh, The next day uh, was to be a special Sabbath, and we go down. But verse 34 is what I want to kind of, from 34 on, instead of one of the soldiers, uh, instead of breaking his legs, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Uh, And on down to 36, not one of his bones were broken. And the none of his bones, bones broken come from Zechariah 12:10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. Um, Exodus 12:46 speaks of the Passover sacrifice. Do not break any of his bones. Numbers 9:12 uh, says they must not leave. Uh, they must not leave any of it until morning or break any of his bones. Uh, Psalm 3420 says he protects all of his bones and not one of them will be broken. All of these were prophecies that were written before crucifixion was even a way to kill people, before the Romans had even invented this this way to kill people. All these things were spoken way ahead of time that were going to happen to recognize so that we could see that all this was going to come to pass and was going to be true. Verse 38, and I'm kind of going fast through this, so hang with me because I'm trying to get to Nick at night. Verse 38, later Joseph asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. Uh, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds. Now, the, the fact that he brought myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds, means that he wasn't poor. He had money. Um, there are some things we know about Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was part of the Sanhedrin. Uh, if you don't know what the Sanhedrin is, it was a, a, a sect of Jewish leaders that they allowed to have some authority under the Roman rule, and so they could kind of take care of their people within reason. Um, but there, there was a lot going on here 
because we see Nicodemus in an earlier light, and that's kind of where I want to start uh, with what I want to talk about. We're going to bounce back to John 3, 1, and then we're going to come back to this. I know I'm going quick, but we're going to hang out here as soon as we get through this. Um, John 3, 1 says, and this is scripture heavy, so just bear with me. John 3, 1 says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are the teacher who has come from God, for who, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Uh, Greek for again also means from above, so they're born from above. Um, How can someone be born when they're old? Jesus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now we have to stop here for a minute. Nicodemus wasn't ignorant. He was asking a legitimate question, okay? He wasn't just being like, this is ridiculous. He wanted to understand clear what Jesus was saying, and that's evident when Jesus kind of chastises him about being a leader and that he should know some of these things in a moment. So he's saying, please, what, what Nicodemus is saying is, please explain to this to me clear because I don't get it. Nicodemus really wanted to know. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear, the, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it, go, where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. This is where he's getting frustrated with Nick because he feels like he should get this. All these signs, especially people, uh, uh, Pharisees that were part of Sanhedrin should have known some of this stuff and should have caught a lot of these signs because they were steeped in the Torah and they should have known it already. So Jesus is not frustrated because he doesn't understand just about being born again, but about everything that has led up to this point that that Nicodemus should have already gotten. Verse 11, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into the heaven except the one who came from Jesus, the Son of Man. There he is calling himself the Son of Man again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, another type in shadow, the substance, the Son of Man, must be lifted up. Uh, Lifted up in the Greek there also means exalted that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And here's the big verse that everyone knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his, own, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now what I would love is if people would pair this verse up with the one behind it, because I hear a lot of people use this verse and just skip right over this one. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So we have to look at this in its context. He is explaining, he's explaining to Nicodemus, who we all know he's frustrated with the Pharisees, right? There's no, he, he, there, he pulls no stops when he calls them brood of vipers. And he's frustrated with the way that they're doing things. He calls them like sons of hell. I mean, he's, he's not easy with the Pharisees. But here's a Pharisee of the Sanhedrin that meets Jesus and he has a conversation with him, going back to the personal relationship thing. He cares enough to see Nicodemus and teach him in an area that he needs to learn. This is, this is a, the most beautiful picture we can see of God our Father is that he cares enough to meet us where we are. We look at most of the New Testament written by Paul. You know who Paul was, right? Saul. We see that one of, the, one of the most violent terrorists that killed and murdered Christians 
who gets his life turned around by Jesus. We see a Pharisee here who, by all means, is an enemy. And Jesus takes the time to sit down and talk to him, explain to him being born again, and lay out the plan of salvation right in front of him. There's a sense, there's a sense of hopelessness that I keep seeing around people that, that for some reason we think they're never going to change. This person's never going to change. This culture's never going to change. This, whatever, administration's never going to change. Whatever we want to tie it on to, whatever small thing we think that is more powerful than Christ, we say, we know better. But we don't. We can't. We don't have that luxury as Christians. And I want to be just as real as I can be with you. I get it. I, I, I get, there are times when I just want to throw my hands up and say, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't deal with it. I don't, I don't know that I have it in me to do it. And that's okay. Because I don't. And you don't either. We can't negate the Holy Spirit in these things. We can't say, I can't do it, so I'm going to give up, as though we're by ourselves. There is no hopelessness in Christianity. It doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. There's a, there's a place we have to come to terms where, and, and guys, I'm preaching to myself more than you, I promise you. Thank you for listening in. <laughs> there are times when we want to say, I, I can't bear this burden anymore. There's times when you say the stress and the frustration and the hurt is too much and I can't do it. But in those times, I find myself on my face asking God why, where, how, what are you doing in this situation? That's the best possible place you can be. The worst possible thing you can do is run away from it. And I can tell you, in my early, in my early Christian life, that's what I did every time. Because I thought, you know what? I'm a failure. I, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm just going to go hide for a while until I can come to terms with what I'm doing and build my strength back up so that I can, so I can get up enough nerve to come back to the Lord and hope that he accepts me as though he left. As though the scripture when he says, if, even if you go join yourself to a harlot, I'm going with you. As if that didn't exist. Let's just scratch that out. We have to get past this idea that, that we are separated from Christ. Once you're born again, you're born again. You can't get unborn again. <laughs> and Nick is pretty clear here when he's saying, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> he, he really wants to know. The beautiful thing about being born is you don't have a, lot of, you don't have a ton of say in it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and once it happens, you can't go back. Ah, it's cold and bright out here. Sorry, this is your new life, right? But the beautiful thing is now you get to experience all these things firsthand, little by little, and we learn just like Jesus did. We hurt just like Jesus did. He demonstrates to us that these things can be overcome in him. He demonstrates to us that we're never alone because he says, I just watch the Father, and I do whatever he does. And I listen to what he says, and I do that. Because it's not, I just understand everything, and I get it all, and I'm just going to follow these rules, and everything's going to be okay. 
If that was the case, he would have never spit in the dirt and rubbed it in somebody's eye. He would, have went, he would have went back to the Levitical law and tried to figure out how to do all this stuff. He didn't do that. He took the time to get down and draw in the dirt when someone was about to be stoned and say, I want to capture the gaze of this woman who feels hopeless. And I want her to know that I care. And I want these guys that are about to kill her to understand that I even care about those idiots. <laughs> right? I even care about you guys because you have to understand that you have no place, you have no right to throw stones. And that's a very humbling place to be when you're self-righteous. So which is the greater sin? <laughs> exactly. Christ comes in between you and everything else. All the things that we think that we take on ourselves and we, we can't bear and all the things that we think are hopeless and are done and, and, are, and are giving up, all those things... Anytime I hear either myself or somebody else say that, it crushes me. And it's not because I feel like we're weak or that, that we can't do it, because I know that we are. It's because I know there's one that is not weak. There's one that is strong. And there is one that is an overcomer and has already overcame these things. Ezekiel 36.25 says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's just like what you were talking about, Andrew. As God promises through the prophet of Ezekiel six centuries before Jesus that a time is coming when there will be a transformation and a new beginning. There's a powerful gift in the Spirit that transforms people's hearts. And it's, it's not fair to us to give up when God hasn't given up. And though we see it painted out so clearly in, in Scripture, each of us individually, I hope if you haven't, I hope you do soon, have experienced this new life in Christ. And it's something I always go back to. I had a conversation, uh, I think it was with Bud. I think Bud's back there helping with the kids this week about the times when I want to give up. I go back and I remember before, before I knew the Lord, all the things that I tried to taste of the world that I thought would satisfy me. And I, I know how bitter and angry and tormented and sad I was. And I can never go back to that. I know that for a fact. I, I, know, I know the results of trying to live outside of this relationship with Christ, even though I can't do it anyway because I'm already a son. But when I get to that place when I think, you know, I'm ready to give up, I, can't, I don't even go down that road. It's a complete waste of time. Listen, when we talk about the Scripture, about being born again of water and spirit. He's not, what we need to be clear is he's not talking about baptism here. A lot of people have jumped on that for some reason. It's not even close to what he's talking about. Baptism is an outward expression of something that's happened internally. He's talking about the scripture in Ezekiel about us being cleansed. The water and spirit is the same thing. When you're saved, you were born again. He's explaining it to Nicodemus so that he can understand it clear. He's saying, listen, all of this is going to happen because of me, not because of something that you can do. It's one of the reasons we don't really 
discourage anyone from being baptized around here. We're not going to break this down into a rule. This is an outward expression of something that happens inside. The same reason we don't scream at people <laughs> like you would a, a, a caterpillar to turn into a butterfly. Hurry up. Let's get this thing going. Would you grow? Listen, Jesus cares enough to meet your needs right where you are. He's not waiting for you to jump through some hoops for it. He's already done it all. He's just waiting for you to receive the gift that he has for you. There's something about the humanity of Jesus that, that speaks volumes to me about being intentional with people. Um, uh, Michelle, just she just went to the bathroom, but Michelle's one of the, the people that I remember first telling me we used to go to their house all the time to eat, uh, really just because she cooked really well. <laughs> and we don't cook a lot, so when people invite us to go eat, we just go to their house. And I remember thinking one day, I was like, man, they never come over to our house. And I remember telling her that. I was like, man, we always come to your house. Why don't you ever come to our house? And she was like, well, you never invite us. I was like, man, I never thought about that. <laughs> That's something that we just, we never really thought about. We just always went over there because she would invite us over there. And it really woke me up to understanding how it doesn't matter how much you really care or love people or genuinely want to reach out to people, unless you take the initiative to actually speak to someone, they may not ever know it, Right? They may just assume that you either do or you don't. And so I think there's something that we have to understand when, when we're living out this Christ life on earth that it does take effort on our part. We're not, we're not void of effort. We're not saying that just because Christ did everything that we do nothing. We're saying, no, because Christ did everything, we actually have something that we can do. So the, so the, the power that we possess is not something that we gain on our own. It's something that Christ gives to us. Jesus says, I have all authority on heaven and earth so I'm going to wash my disciples' feet. We should do the same. That, that same spirit that Christ gave us that raised, that raised him from the dead is not so that you can run around and say, oh, I've got this great power and I'm better than you. It's so that you can go around washing people's feet. I'm not saying just wash people's feet. I'm saying you can go around and serve and care for people. And that, that takes some intention on our part. All right. I kind of ran through that quicker than I wanted to, but... I want you guys to talk about it a little bit if you got any questions or if you want to add anything to it. I know y'all, I know Doug's thinking of something because he's already looking something up. You need a mic that works? <laughs> you didn't bring your Heelys? Next. <laughs> Carol's got something. For visitors, this is for the folks at home to hear what we're talking about. Um, you were talking about hope. Um, as Jesus died, he said it is finished. In the Passion Translation, the translator said the word finished is, and it can also mean bride. So the way he put it in, in verse 30 is, it is finished, my bride. And of course, we know that he had to be resurrected from the dead. He had to ascend. The disciples had to go into Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit came, and the bride was, pre was born, I guess you would say, the bride of Christ. So he even, hanging there dying, was looking forward to the church. 
And I just think that's a marvelous hope right. that he that he demonstrated there. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. Yes. But the thing we need to realize is the joy set before him was us. Yes. What other reason would he have to do it? Right? That's right. Amen. So don't be so bummed out about everything. You are the joy. You're part of this story. No teenagers, no, no, nobody back there, no questions. They're like, please don't look at me. <laughs> sure. I have a little testimony. Um, I was assaulted at Starbucks by a Wait, lady in a black car. You were assaulted? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was <laughs> Sorry, you caught me off guard. <laughs> It was really weird. I guess she hadn't had her coffee that morning. (laughs) I was in, it's the one on airport, uh, uh, Schillinger. Anyway, I was in line, and there's two ways to get in. There's one around the Walgreens, and there's one from Moe's. Okay, the line was long, so I had come in from, had to go all the way around and come in the Walgreens line because it was already that long. Well, this silver car came in and shoved in front of me real quick, and, and then this this girl in this black car was with her. I mean, was right behind her. And so she started screaming at me and cussing at me and pointing to me. And, and I, I, was, I didn't know what to think, except I just blew her a kiss and said, Jesus loves you. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> and, that made her happy. And I did it again. And she, she was calling me names. She said, I'm going to run over your car if you don't let me in. I mean, she did. She was like that far from the side of my car. And, and she said, I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know what you're doing. And I said, because Jesus wanted you. And I was yelling this because she was over yonder. Uh, I, Jesus wanted you to know that he loves you. So he put me here and he put you there and he loves you. And then she just cussed a little bit more and got <laughs> mad and ran in front of me. I let her in. It took me 45 minutes to get my food out of Starbucks that day. But anyway, it was just an amazing experience. Um, oh. So if you see her name is, uh, she had a tag on the back of her car that said Tezzy. If you see your car, just tell her God loves you and has a plan for your life. And she'll probably cuss you, but that's okay. God loves her and he has a plan for her life. (laughs) I'm not going there again. All right. So many things that I want to say about that. Let me see where I need to start. I think you might have done better than me with the whole can. I don't know if y'all heard last week about the guy, my frustration, the guy threw a can out the window in a in a drive-through line, be a drive-through line thing, and uh, I was about to snap, like I almost lost it. I got out and I picked it up and I wanted to throw it at him, <laughs> genuinely, but I didn't. I got in the car and was was calm, and so I, I get it. Like um, you did better than I did. She needed her two pump non-fat white mocha that morning. <laughs> I do think Andrew comes up and says, "Here, it's your turn," and I said, "What am I supposed to say?" But anyway, I think I think it's true. Uh, when you told that story last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, um, I thought, well, you know, isn't it when you're around certain people, you only say certain things around mama. You got to make things pretty. Don't tell her you got hurt. Try not to drop the F-bomb. When you're around Carol, <laughs> right? you got you to gotta look like Jesus because Carol looks like Jesus. You know, when I come to this church, I'm like, oh, my goodness. These people love Jesus. These are great people. I better play nice so I can be here too. <laughs> but not not because of rules on rocks. Yeah. I could be the worst person ever, walk through these doors, and y'all love so well. 
I feel really loved here. And I, I've been to a lot of churches I didn't feel loved at. Yeah. But here, I'm like, oh, oh, love constrains me. I can yell. I would not have been, I would have been dropping F-bombs back. I would have, I, 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 I yeah, but, <laughs> but when I think about who's around me, when I think about what Jesus has done, what Carol has done, what Daddy has done, I'm like, oh, well, I will control myself, and I'll say Jesus loves you, or at least let them in and go to a different coffee shop. You know, yellow hammer is better anyway. Because Just go to yellow hammer; you'll, you'll run into less problems. Because of love. Well, or at least not flip them off. You know. Well, listen here, and and here's you're exactly right. The thing. Because of love, not because of fear of condemnation or judgment or anything like that. The reason, the reason why it's, the reason why it's so important to be led by love is because it's it's the, it's, it's the solution and the goal and, <laughs> I mean it's all the things. So when you're when you're operating from that place, it's not only less awkward, right? Um, it's genuine, and it's not trying to just fulfill some some breakdown of what we're supposed to be doing. Because let's face it, no one wants to do chores, right? I mean, do you? You love doing chores? Okay, man. Break down my analogy. Most people don't like chores, all right? I'm one of those. Okay, most people don't like chores. Let's think of something else you don't like because I don't know where else to go from that. Most people don't like chores. But there, there is times, and my, my best example of this is when we, we spent years, uh, clean, we would clean the church. We were part of the cleaning crew, and we would come in here you know, several times you know, a month or whatever and clean the church. And I did not, I don't like cleaning at all. Tracy's saying she knows, no, he does not like cleaning. I don't like cleaning. I don't know why. It's like a block, mental block. My mom probably says the same thing. Yep, I agree. He doesn't like cleaning. He's a slob. So, um, (laughs) I don't want to put words in you. Huh? But it's all her fault because she did. Whoa, easy, easy. (laughs) Let's, let's. Y'all can fight later. All right, so. uh, Autumn's like, I'm finding another table. It's about to get real here. <laughs> All right, so, so, uh, <laughs> so here, God, you threw me for a loop there. I don't like cleaning, but I remember it took it took several it took several times uh, coming um, and and like vacuuming in here when I started like putting my earphones in and worshiping and then realizing that hey, I, there's an opportunity here while I'm here. I can just pray and I can worship, and it's another one of the things that I do on Sunday mornings is I come early and, I, and I'm, it's one of the few times that I'm just like focused and by myself and like it's my little getaway time where I pray and everything like that well I turned that into that and it became a joy to come do it and I look forward to it then it wasn't the cleaning necessarily it was just the part of it same thing with you know when Fred and I work on stuff around the church or do something it's not the stuff that we're fixing it's that we get to spend time together and hang out and get to know each other and so it's seeing it's almost like that joy set before you thing again we endure the chores (laughs) so it's like uh we see that there's something bigger going on not just the things that are right in front of us right so I love I love that our church, and I hope that many others, it's not just us, that we see that it's, it's good that we grow from the inside out, not trying to constrain ourselves from the outside in. That's all I wanted to say with that. Sorry. What did I tell you there? And I just wanted to say about her situation. I've been in the same situation. But what would have been nice, even, even if we don't say anything, buy her her cup of coffee. I bought people behind me that are blowing their horn and aggravated or just, you know, what did they order? And I pay for their order and I leave, you know, I just, 
Oh, I thought she was behind you. Okay. She made it. But I mean, that's something I've done. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Hotel California over there. It's the Starbucks you can't escape from. Your wife, your wife over here has something. Okay. Run, run over here. We, we. You can get your grande, but you can't check out. All right. I'm about to go to sleep this morning. Uh, just thinking about what Tiffany said. I don't drink coffee. Just thinking about what <laughs> Tiffany said um, about coming in here and observing and watching active love and that it encourages her. That's one of the reasons, of course, in this season that we've been in this year, it's been very difficult. It's been very difficult. But that's one of the reasons why the Word tells us, don't put off assembling yourselves together. If you're able to, it's so important. Because the following says, so you can spur one another on. So you can encourage one another on to love and good right. works. We all need that. There's a thousand times this week I've just like, God, I can't do it, whatever it might be. And he's like, I know you can't. That's why you've got the body, and that's why you've got me, and I can help you. Right. So I would just encourage everybody, if you're healthy, if you're healthy, please come and let's be together so that we can spur one another on to love and good works. Because you don't know the person that you talk to this morning or that you hug. You don't know. I mean, they may have all their makeup on and they may have good smell and breath, but they may be really hurting inside and they need an encouraging word. And you have the power to provoke someone to love and good works. And what a good word provoke. Usually we think provoke is like, provoke. Right. Provoke and encourage. Right. I'm done. (laughs) <laughs> Amen. And so, uh, yeah, that was good. And I, honestly, not only that, it's also it's also us recognizing that others, like, just just this morning, I, I, we, Doug and I always joke around a lot, and I pick on Doug a lot. But this morning, the Lord highlighted Doug to me how how encouraging he's been to me, and how the times that um, you know after service we may talk about a scripture or. You know, he may teach me something, or, or we may dis- further dis- the discussion of what I talked about up here. Um, and and to be honest, sometimes I just take that for granted. Well, this morning I just happened to see Doug, and I was like, man, my the Holy Spirit in me just kind of like broke a little bit. Like, man, what an encouragement Doug has been, you know, to to me and probably many others in our church. And so, even those kind of things, that doesn't just happen. We have to see each other. You know, you have to kind of say, hey, there's there's Doug. <laughs> Please don't provoke Doug anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Provoke Doug, just not to mess with me all the time. No. For any so, visitors that are wondering, Doug is not just the boisterous guy that interrupts the preacher all the time. This is the way our church <laughs> yes, operates. We talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say something real quick, and it kind of connects back to the John portion that you started with, and it yeah. may get into what you talked about last week, but I think it's interesting, so I think that that shows uh, Jesus' humanity, but it also shows us like a snapshot into the relationship between John and Jesus. Yeah. So Mary, um, his mother, had other children and had her sister right there, but John, who wasn't even blood kin to her, right, he entrusted him with something precious to him, which yeah. I think goes along with what you're saying today. So like in our relationship with God, 
it's a trust relationship. He entrusts us with people in our lives that we can pour his spirit out to. And in, and as a result, the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we are trusting back in him. Yeah. So it's like a picture. Uh, you know, I think that he painted a picture right in that uh, very verse of yeah. us. And, and it's interesting that he says the one who Jesus loved, because that's what it is. In love, we trust one another, right? Yeah. And you have this relationship where I can give things to you and you can give things back to me. And we work in unison with one another to accomplish the goal. That's awesome. It's exactly true. And, it, and that's why we call ourselves an R&D church. We receive and we distribute, right? And and that's also why we, we realize that the relationships that we get into, we're not trying to drain other people. We were actually seeking to give them because if, if you're looking for just someone else to satisfy you and you to satisfy them, it's like two ticks and no dog. <laughs> you're just going to be frustrated. And so you... you <laughs> so, so, so I'm saying when you don't look... What, you're, what I think you're getting to also is that don't look to man what God's going to provide. And you can't have that kind of love and trust if you're depending on people to give it to you because we're broken. But if you love and trust him, by default, you're going to begin to, to share that love and trust with other people. And I think it is interesting that John does continue to call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved because, because we need to see that. Well, he had his mom now. And he had his mom now, right? So, I mean, how awesome is that? What a beautiful... And how many times have we skipped over that scripture like, oh, yeah, well, you know, John, take care of, take care of mom. You know, move on. let's move on to the big stuff, right? The big stuff. And that's, what I, that's another thing I wanted to talk about. The, one of the main focuses was it's all big stuff to God. The parking spot, the whatever financial issue you're dealing with, whatever relationship issue you're, you're dealing with, it's all Starbucks. You know, I was at Fusacli's, this guy littering. He's, he cares about that too. Um, and, and I'll tell you, and this is, this is a little practical, real basic practical wisdom. I heard somewhere, and I try to tell my kids the same thing. I actually told them we were in line in Disney one time. Um, that I either saw in a movie or something else, but I think it is applicable spiritually as well as just in general, is to always leave a place better than you got there. And the way it was shown to me was like littering, like pick up. That way it's a little better than when you got there. It's not as trashy. But that goes along spiritually with relationships too. Try to leave relationships better than when you got there. And and I, I don't do a lot of practical wisdom stuff, but take that for what it's worth. It's very good if you do receive this trust and love from the Father and you share it with other people, you will, relieve, you will leave relationships better than before you got there. And that's a good place to be. Also, pick up your trash, you slobs. <laughs> something, something about it just makes me snap. Like, God, this is why we can't have nice things. Stop throwing stuff around. I'm not like super tree hug or anything, but come on, guys. Don't throw your junk out of the window. It's dumb. All right, so, uh, amen. We got one more thing? We'll wrap up. So, personally, I have studied uh, human psychology a lot. Yeah. And from an outside perspective, Christians, like, with, without knowing how, like, how we turn to God and stuff, Christians are a psychological anomaly. Yeah, I would agree. Because devil tests us a lot, but from the outside perspective, it just looks like everything in our life is going wrong. But we're still <laughs> able to praise a higher deity through it all and be happy and use that to worship God. And yeah. I think it's part of the reason why I love Christianity so much because it completely disregards all psychological laws. Dude, that's awesome. 
and you're that's what it means we're nuts. No, no. Here's what it means. It means we're not peculiar people, not nuts. Say it correctly. But here, here's here's why that is because we're not bound by our circumstances. Where, well, and here's our here's what most people consider circumstances is temporary kingdoms that are shaken. So we're not bound by those things. And you're right. You're dead on. We are we are parts of a different kingdom, and we are peculiar. But here here's the here's the cool thing. Not the cool thing, but part of the reason why we're peculiar, I'm trying to hang on to this so I close my eyes so I don't lose it because I have ADD, um, is because love, real love, agape love is illogical. That's why, that's why you can't break it down psychologically. When you love someone, and I've had conversations with friends about this. Man, I had a, I had a guy that I'm, I'm real good friends with years ago. He just tried to convince me that he didn't love this girl. And he was big and bad, and he didn't care. He did whatever he wanted. And then all of a sudden he's moving and he's, he calls me. He's like, man, I'm stressed out. I've never moved before. I'm dealing with all this stuff. And I'm like, why are you moving? That doesn't make any sense. I, I was messing with him, but I said, why are you moving? That doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, she's, she's wanting to move and we're going to get, you know, we're going to get married. We're going to do this stuff and everything. I was like, oh, so you're moving because of her? No, no, no. And like, he was trying to be all hard. I was like, look, man, you can go somewhere else with that. <laughs> I know what it is. You're moving because you care for her and that's okay. You need to come to terms with it. Rawr, rawr, rawr. He didn't want to talk about that. But that, that's part of what we do. We're like, this is illogical. I, this doesn't make sense, which is exactly what Jesus did. This doesn't make sense. Why come down to earth for a people that don't appreciate you, that take advantage of you, that kill you, and sacrifice yourself for them? That is agape love, not just love that you love pizza or phileo. Or, it's agape love. That's a love that... We love because he first loved us. No, we love because that love didn't exist until he gave it to us. We love because he gives us this agape love, and it is absolutely unfair and illogical. And you may look a little peculiar when you do it, or a lot peculiar. Or go to Yellowhammer instead of Starbucks. All right, stand up with me. They need more Yellowhammers because I end up at Starbucks sometimes too because I can't get to one. I encourage you. And they're not paying me anything, but their coffee is really good, and they're local. Yeah, and they're Christians too. And they sell one wheels, and those are really fun. All right, Father, we just, <laughs> we love you. Uh, we praise you. I thank you that you, you, you are the head, and we are the body. And I'm thankful that we are a living being, and that it's not just me that has this revelation, but you've given the Holy Spirit to everyone in this place, and that they can contribute, and man, did they today. I thank you for the insight. I thank you for the testimonies. I thank you for the words that they've given. Um, Lord, I thank you for your word that you've given us and your Holy Spirit that leads us every day. Father, I pray that you would highlight the people that we could build up and encourage this week. Um, and also, Lord, I pray that you would uh, have people step into our lives that would do the same for us, that would take the time to meet us where we are and to, to just the smallest thing um, that could redirect our attention to you. Um, Lord, just keep that cycle going in us and help us to see it for what it is from your kingdom. Uh, right down into earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful, great day.